History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 56th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours of the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we are joined by a special co-host. He is the host of the Big Seance podcast, Patrick Keller. And Denise, why don't you tell us a little bit about Patrick? Patrick is a teacher with another side that qualifies him as a para-nerd. He is a blogger and host of the Big Seance Podcast, of which we are big fans and subscribers. He is the founder of the Missouri Spirit Seekers, MOSS, a group of paranormal investigators based in both O'Fallon and Lexington, Missouri, since 2010. He is a member of the Association Transcommunication, A-Trans-C, formerly the American Association of Electronic Voice Phenomena. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, guys. So that covered a little bit of your bio. Is that pretty close to uh, what we need to know about you? That's pretty close. The Missouri Spirit Seekers is, we don't really do too much investigating anymore. Any of the investigating or the researching that I do is kind of on my own. So we're still our sights there. And, you know, one of these days we might pick something up, but we haven't done a lot of investigating. So when you say you go on your own, like just you go or do you take people with you? Well, every now and then I am contacted, I guess, by people. And it's not the most fun thing in the world to just show up and walk into someone's home who's having issues that you've you don't you don't know much about them or they're strangers. But I do get emails a lot from people and I try to talk them through some things and sometimes I do end up making a little visit to someone's place. But it's definitely not something that I feel is uh you know what I need to be doing with the rest of my life. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> It's a lot of work, and uh, I have other nerdy things I would like to do, like podcasting. Well, and there's not any money in that or anything either, so when you devote that many hours to something, it's kind of hard to say, yeah, let's keep doing that. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm out of the paranormal investigation world a little bit in the last year or so. Well, Patrick, I listen to probably 10 to 12 podcasts a day. Our listeners know, especially those who are members of our Spooktacular crew, we're always sharing with each other different podcasts that we find, and you got to listen to this. And I happened upon your podcast one day, and I said, you know, I'm not really crazy about the whole seance thing, but he looks like he has some really interesting (laughs) people on, and it looks like a good show. So I'll go ahead and listen to it. And I'll tell you, the first thing I always do when I listen to a podcast is I listen to the host's voice. And you have not only a great voice for radio, but you come across as genuine. And you have this way of speaking that is very soothing. So it goes wonderfully with the paranormal because, well, it's a little scary when you get into paranormal stuff. So you want to hear somebody who is genuine and kind of peaceful, I guess. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. You know, sometimes I think I just sound like a big Missouri hick. So (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. 
Missouri Hick. Most of my dad's side of the family is from Missouri and still live there. And so I won't ask you any of the words that I love to make fun of when they say them. So it's an accent that's familiar to you. It Very is. Much so <laughs> I remember growing up as a kid going, what is that? And then, you know, my dad would say, well, this is what they're really saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> she needed a Missourian dictionary. There you go. I might need one of those too, actually. So anyway, how did you come up with the name of Big Sam? Um, I was, look, I, I get into spirit communication really heavily. And even before I really got into it, it was just always something that was fascinating to me. When I was going into my, what I call my spiritual shift and reading a lot of books from psychics and mediums and getting into EVP, I just thought, you know, you know what? There's, if there's anything that just means spirit communication and what I want to do, you know, to learn from the other side or to, to get proof of the other side, it would be a seance. And, you know, I just picture Victorian times in this, you know, dimly lit dining room with candelabras and, you know, the the medium that looks just like you would picture a medium. And that was just such a cool vision to me. So it, it wasn't ever really meant to be formally a seance, but, um, you know, I have been in some seances and I've organized some things like that. And so you never know. One of these days we could have an official seance on the episode. But it really was kind of just a word just to mean, hey, we're I, I'm I'm trying to learn more about the other side, really. And this started off as a blog for you before it became a podcast, right? It did. Um, it was about two years before, I guess, um, got into blogging. And for a while, I was blogging daily, which <laughs> only lasts so long before you, you know, almost kill yourself trying to, to, to do that. I really am a fan of Jim Harold's The Paranormal Podcast. And mm -hmm. for um, I started listening to that in 2008. And for several years, that was the only podcast I ever knew. He really got me thinking about a lot of things. And helped to get me into all the reading and the research and starting the, you know, Missouri Spirit Seekers. I just got to love podcasting so much. And like you said earlier, I can, if I calculate how many podcasts I listen to in a week, it's almost kind of embarrassing. So <laughs> I just kind of got fascinating with podcasting in general. Then I jumped in and got started and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. It's a lot of work. But I love it. It is a lot of work, but like you said, it is very rewarding too, especially when you start having your listeners send you emails or give you comments. You realize, you know, I just thought I was going to get on here. Like Denise and I say that all the time. We're just going to get on here and shoot the breeze and have some fun and maybe entertain people a little bit. And then you get these emails where, you know, I was having a bad day and you just made my day and I just love traveling with you because I feel like I know you and... It's just, you're like, wow, this is so awesome. And it's a great medium because you can't have that kind of relationship on the radio with someone. And so it's nice that we can provide that to people. Right. And there's so many connections you make. All of the authors or, you know, psychics and mediums that I've met. Um, and just like you said, the regular people that you start developing relations with either 
on Facebook or social media. And, you know, we've shared a few listeners between our podcasts, which is kind of cool. We have some nerds in common. We absolutely do. And that is one of the fun things that I love to do when I listen to podcasts that I really like. I make sure that I let those hosts know because I love to hear that, too. I love your podcast. And before long, you've struck up a friendship with each other. And it's a kind of a nice way to, I call it, cross-pollinating. And I'll even do it with shows that aren't necessarily paranormal in particular because people like I like to listen to a wide variety of stuff. And so I think it's nice to be able to do that. And like you said, when you meet people and you build these relationships and stuff, I told you before that I said, you're like a brother from another mother or something. (laughs) We share so much in common. First of all, you are a cemetery buff, which we are as well. Mm We just love cemeteries. We'll get into talking about that a little bit with your travels. And I think you come from the same place that we do where you believe, but it's kind of that open-minded skeptic. You don't immediately go, oh, that was a ghost. You go, okay, well, that was weird. Let me see if I can figure out why that happened. Yes. And, you know, deep down in my heart, I always want it to be something. I want (laughs) it to be paranormal. When I'm listening for EVP and analyzing audio, you know, I'm sitting there crossing my fingers wanting to hear something. But then I have that conflict of when I hear something, I'm immediately jumping into writing it off or figuring out what it could be or is it my stomach or was it me wheezing because I'm out of shape or, you know, something like that. When I go to some of these places, I want to see an apparition. I dreamt about seeing a full-blown apparition. But uh, sometimes I think the skeptic side of me (laughs) is just not going to let that happen. Apparently, even though I believe in it and I know this stuff happens, I I really want so badly to experience it a lot of times. Uh Uh-oh, so you do tempt the spirits. (laughs) I do sometimes. I Uh do. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) I'll let that one go. I just don't know that I'll go into a dark street with you. (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey, where are you? Well, you know, I'm really bummed that we hadn't met Patrick before we went on a road trip because we probably could have met up with him because we were right there in the same area. We were absolutely. Yeah, you were. We were you came to St. Charles. Yeah. yeah. So we definitely could have met up. So I'm like, oh, dang, we met just a few weeks too late. Right, right. Patrick, what is a ghost to you? Like what you, you say you want to see an apparition. What do you think ghosts are? Well, I think people like to categorize things. And some of the different categories have always kind of gotten on my nerves. Like you hear people talk about shadow people and the category of shadow people a lot of times has a negative thing to it, or they'll say that it's demonic or negative. And my thing has always been who, how do we know, you know, what they are? It could, you know, there's so many things that could possibly determine how a spirit or a ghost shows up for us. And I've always said, you know, how do we know it's not Aunt Jane trying to come to communicate with you or reach out? And that shadow is the only way that she could manage to do it that day. So I don't think that ghosts or spirits can be easily categorized. I think that there's many ways that a spirit or ghost could show up. But yeah, that the, the full-blown apparition is would definitely be like the gold mine. That would be the the ultimate, and I haven't seen it. Yeah, they're definitely a rarity, and we come from the same place when it comes to ghosts. I mean, to me, there's so many things, whether it's quantum physics, dimensional, who knows? And, you know, some of it's residual. But, yeah, I hate it when people just have a pat answer like, this is exactly what it is. You know, if you you look over on the Christian side, well, all of it's demonic. And then you look over on the other Mm -hmm. side, and none of it's demonic. And then... So we kind of have a happy medium in the middle. Most of the time, I'm just like, 
I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. But I know there's got to be something after this life because there's too many experiences. Same thing with UFOs. I've never seen a UFO, but you hear so much about it from other people. There has to be something to it. Right. Well, you went on a fabulous road trip, which I think we're going to follow in your footsteps one of these days because it sounded great. And you hit a bunch of cemeteries and stuff. And so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that road trip? And just to let people know, Patrick detailed this in his very last podcast that he just did that I think went up today. And so if you want to get like EVP type stuff and a lot of the details with it, I encourage you to listen to that podcast, but give us a little rundown of all the different cities that you hit. Well, we started out in, you know, the St. Louis area. First cool place that we hit was Natchez, Mississippi. And I didn't really know a lot about Natchez, Mississippi, but oh my gosh, it was beautiful. And the first place we were planning on going was the King's Tavern, which has been on a lot of, uh, it's been on ghost adventures and ghost hunters and I'm one of those big nerds. I've seen every episode of those. Um, and it ended up being closed, but I got pictures of it, and it was really cool. But kind of looking for a plan B to kind of walk around Natchez and see what's going on was very cool because we stumbled into this huge cemetery in Natchez. It was a little too late once I got there, but we woke up the early the next morning and I spent like two hours just taking photos all over the place. So that was really worth it. But just the town itself, beautiful buildings and it's right on the Mississippi River. It was very cool. And I would I would go back to Natchez in a second. I think that would be a place that I would love to explore more. There was a lot of history there. Then we ended up going to St. Francisville, which is where the Myrtles Plantation was. And uh, we saw a few other plantations around the area before we got there, by the way. And, uh, but we got to the Myrtles Plantation. And of course, that's, you know, one of the top paranormal locations people always want to go to. And it was very cool. Kind of like my stay at the Stanley, I'd say. Everybody talks about how crazy the Stanley must be. Well, our stay at the Stanley, kind of like the Myrtles, was just really peaceful and relaxing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> In a beautiful Not location. a lot of bump going on. And uh, the Myrtles was kind of the same way, but it was it was interesting. And we took the tour and we did a little seance kind of EVP session in our room, although we kind of had to do it quietly because, you know, in those places, the the walls are thin and there's other people staying right next to you and you don't want to freak too many people out. Sure. But uh, it's it's a very interesting place and it's beautiful. And the history alone, it just makes it worth it. Oh, I bet. And then we went to New Orleans and stayed at the Hotel St. Marie. New Orleans was a little much for me in the French Quarter. Uh, my anxiety was kind of on edge. Uh, don't too much care for Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. But I did get to stop by the LaLaurie Mansion and take some selfies. Then after that, we went to oh, wait, the Long Street, Beach, Mississippi and just relaxed for a couple of days. And that was it. So you didn't go to Café du Monde while you were there and get beignets? Oh, I went to Café Beignet. Okay. Which I've heard some people like better than Cafe Du Monde, but oh, okay. no, we didn't make it to that one. Okay, but at least you stopped and got beignets. You didn't do just graveyards and stuff. Oh, we Listen did. We did. Jazz. We got beignets, okay. and I got sugar all over my face, and <laughs> um, it was okay. I, I, I said in my podcast though, I got a veggie burger there at Cafe Beignet, and it was so much better than the than the uh, 
beignet, actually, which wow. is strange. That is strange. Patrick's becoming yeah. a hippie. He's coming over to my side. I'm a new vegetarian. I'm <laughs> one of the fattest and out of shape vegetarians that I know, but uh, it's a new experience for me. Oh, so you are a vegetarian now. I am. I'm a vegetarian who is allowing myself to cheat with some seafood every now and then. Oh, okay, so okay. well, pesco. That's pesco vegetarianism. So, oh, I have to look that up. I didn't know yeah, that. I thought I was just fish. a cheater. No, you're not a cheater. There's all different kinds of vegetarians. Here comes my hippie. <laughs> so let's. <laughs> this is a podcast on the paranormal, not on vegetarianism. So, <laughs> and now get out your cutting boards, everybody. We're going to give there you our you- recipe. <laughs> We're going to have a recipe. <laughs> Well, actually, what we're talking about on this show is the Myrtles Plantation, and that's another reason why we wanted to have Patrick on, because he actually went there and saw it and, and slept there. <laughs> he slept I in the did. place. Before we do that, I do want to point you over to our website, historyghostbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the show. You could shop in our Emporium there. You can find the blog there, our most recent shows, our archives, where you can listen to the podcast, how you can find us on social media, how you can subscribe to the newsletter, and also donate to the show. Denise, if they want to send us some feedback, make some suggestions about other locations for us to check out, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And Denise, we got another five-star review over at iTunes from Brio612. I write few reviews and only then regarding things I feel strongly about, either good or bad. This podcast is great. It is well-researched and entertaining. For those who might not be into history, just give it a try. This isn't the dry, by-rote, boring history that is sometimes encountered. This is entertaining and leads right into the paranormal connections. If this isn't enough, the hosts are fun and give the sense that you are just hanging out with them, having a good conversation. I'm so glad I found this podcast for many reasons, and I'm always eagerly awaiting the next episode. Well, thank you so much for that, Brio. We greatly appreciate that, and I'm glad that we're giving people a feeling like you're sitting right here with us because we wish you were. It'd get kind of crowded in my office. It's not very big, but we'd have a lot of fun if everybody was hanging out here. As a matter of fact, we are going to try to do something where we can all kind of hang out together. We're going to the Taekwondo National Championships, which is being held in Boston, Massachusetts at the end of this month. And we're going to go see some of the sites in Boston. And we thought it would be fun if we tried out using this new app called Periscope. Some of you may have heard of it. It's connected to Twitter. So you need to have a Twitter account if you want to play around with the Periscope ad. But I guess you could do live streaming on it. And so we're going to try to do some live streaming via the Twitter app Periscope while we're in Boston. So if you don't have a Twitter account, get one and then start following History Ghost Bump. It'll give you a notification when we go live. We'll try to send out some stuff to let people know we're going live too on Facebook and such, but that should be a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to giving that a whirl and taking you guys on the trip with us. And we do want to welcome new Spooktacular crew member, Brian. Hey, Brian. Welcome to the crew. All right, let's get started. Sounds good. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Lund University is located in Sweden. The school's original benefactor and chancellor was Bishop Peter Winstrup. When the bishop died, his body was preserved with herbs and berries. This caused the body to be mummified. 
It is so well preserved that the mummy actually looks very similar to a painted portrait of Bishop Winstruff with beard and mustache. The university had been studying the mummy for 350 years, cracking the coffin open every few decades. When the casket was opened most recently, an unusual discovery was made as the coffin underwent a CT scan. Another body was in the coffin. The body was that of a fetus, most likely in the sixth month of development. It was below the feet of the bishop and had never been seen before. Unbaptized babies were denied a Christian burial back during the bishop's time, so researchers believe the baby was placed in the coffin as a stowaway so that it could have a proper burial. DNA tests are being conducted to make sure that, ahem, there's no relation between the bishop and the baby. A bishop's mummy so well-preserved it is recognizable and concealing the body of a baby for 350 years certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. This day in history. On this day, July 14th in 1853, the first U.S. World's Fair opened in New York City at the Crystal Palace. Formerly known as the Exhibition of the Industry of All Nations, this exhibition followed the first such display in London in 1851. The exhibition was meant to display the greatest inventions in the world. A special building was erected in what is now Bryant Park. The building was made from glass and iron and modeled after the building built for the World's Fair in London. It was built in the shape of a Greek cross and had a dome 100 feet in diameter. The Crystal Palace would burn to the ground in 1858. President Franklin Pierce gave the opening address. When the fair closed in November 1854, 1.1 million people had passed through the doors. The grandest industrial achievement of the fair was Elisha Otis's elevator equipped with a safety brake. He demonstrated the invention himself with a dramatic free fall. Three years later, the first passenger elevator was installed in a New York City store. You're listening to History Goes Bump. Southern charm abounds at the beautiful Antebellum Myrtles Plantation. The mansion has been restored to its former glory and houses much of the original architectural and decorative features. The city where it's located has a deep history and once was a very important city in the South. The Myrtles Plantation is considered one of the most haunted places in Louisiana. The story behind the hauntings is tragic, and many people claim to have had experiences while staying at the Myrtles, which is now a bed and breakfast. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings at the Myrtle Plantation. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, Patrick, when you were there, did they talk any uh, about Bayou Sarah at all? the city that used to be there? That may have come up in the tour, but I honestly don't really remember seeing too much about that until I started researching for my episode. Well, I know that the um, Tunica Indian tribe supposedly had a burial ground in that area. (laughs) You know, it seems like all these haunted places have their little (laughs) Indian burial ground. I'm like, boy, the Indians did a lot of burying everywhere. (laughs) Well, yes. And then they said, okay, fine. You want to treat us that way? Guess what? Our ghosts are going to come out and get you. (laughs) But Bayou Sarah was one of those areas that, of course, was controlled by Spain. And it was kind of down near the water. And St. Francisville is supposed to be kind of on a bluff. Did it seem like it was higher than some of the other areas around it at all? Not really, honestly. I mean, it was very kind of giant suburbia with this, you know, little haven of myrtle history in the middle of it you know there was sure. highway surrounding it and gas stations and 
and cars bumping down the street with their bass. So I didn't really get the sense of that, no. Well, I guess what happened is by you, Sarah, used to get a lot of flooding in there and fires and stuff. And so they were like, you know, we're going to have to let this place go. And so what they did is, again, I don't know how much of a bluff there was, but they hauled a lot of the stuff that was down in Bayou Sarah up to what became St. Francisville. You mentioned that you did a tour. So they was this just a regular historical tour? Was it a ghost tour? Was it a mixture of the two? As far as I know, we weren't given the option of having, you know, a ghost tour or anything like that. This was just the tour. And this is a tour that we got for free for staying there. So I think it was probably a little mixture of both. So did they talk about the different owners of the Myrtles? They did. They. Um, I didn't know about a lot of the later ownership of the Myrtles. And so I, I, I get lost in a lot of the ownership. There's a lot kind of um, later on after the Sterlings and all of that. But yeah, they did. They for sure up to the point where a lot of the legends and ghost stories come from. Did they talk at all about the Whiskey Rebellion and how it was connected to the plantation? They did. This was during the Revolutionary War. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but after we won the war, since we were a new country, we didn't have money and we had a lot of debt because you rack up a lot of debt. Obviously, we're doing that right now with the wars that we're in, too. And a lot of the soldiers who fought during the Revolutionary War did not get paid. And George Washington felt horrible about this because, I mean, a lot of these guys were fighting without proper ammunition and guns and clothing, and they were sick. And then you can imagine what's happened to their farms while they were fighting. And so he really wanted to make sure they got some money. And, of course, they thought, well, the best way to do this is tax liquor, kind of what they do nowadays, you know, tax all the cigarettes and liquor and gas. All the fun stuff. Yeah. And so that's what they were doing was taxing whiskey. And you had all these farmers who were like, well, wait a minute, I can distill this corn and stuff and make my own whiskey and work around the government so that I don't have to pay that tax. And so that's basically what the Whiskey Rebellion was, is these farmers said, we're not paying your tax. And when the tax collectors would come, they push back against them, and sometimes there was some violence involved. And General David Bradford was one of those guys who was involved in this, and they ended up calling him Whiskey Dave because he was so prominent with it. And he had a really beautiful property, I think, in Pennsylvania. And finally, he was in so much trouble with this that he ended up having to leave, and he left his wife and his children there. And he came down to buy you, Sarah, and he saw that there was all this property down there, so he decided to buy this, I think it was like 650 acres down there, and he began to build. Did they tell you what the Myrtles was originally called? Um, I think so. Laurel Grove, yeah. Yeah, I did they say what that, where that name came from? I don't remember at all. Yeah, I have no idea where he, I don't know if it was just a cool name that he decided to name it. I, I have <laughs> well, no idea Isn't there a from. tree called Laurels? So maybe it was a grove within the trees, the Laurel trees. Well, maybe, and was that even know. before St. Francisville was was, you know, organized? I have a feeling because in all the historical stuff that I was reading, it said that he bought this property in Bayou Sarah. But as we were discussing earlier, Bayou Sarah went defunct and everything went to St. Francisville. So they're not like one in the same. So I'm not sure why they said that he bought property in Bayou Sarah because, I mean, I know that the Myrtles Plantation is not right in the middle of St. Francisville. It's kind of on the outside of it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that it was necessarily where Bayou Sarah was either. Yeah. Well, he eventually passed away and his wife took over. And do you know who it passed on to after that? The Woodruffs. Now, this is an interesting family. Judge Clark Woodruff. The way he became a judge is he... I, I didn't realize at first that Whiskey Dave was 
a teacher, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> Only he was teaching law, I guess. And so uh, Clark Woodruff had come there to learn the law, and he fell in love with Whiskey Dave's daughter. And so then he ended up marrying her, and they had a few kids. And here's the interesting thing that you had said in your podcast, and I found this as well. Why don't we get into talking a little bit about the legend that surrounds the Woodruff family? You seem like the type who likes to get to what's the truth, what's the heart of this. And up until I started doing the research here, I thought that the legend was actually the truth. And maybe it's not quite the full truth. So do you want to share with everybody behind the scenes when we're talking about the slave? We have Cleo and then we have Chloe and that kind of thing. Sure. And I think... For a lot of people, I, I've looked up several sites in the last couple of days, and a lot of people definitely think that Chloe and Cleo are the the same legend. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people kind of try to separate it, and there's not as much information out there about Cleo as there is Chloe. But Chloe was apparently the slave or servant who was closest to the family. And um, Clark had kind of taken a liking to her and kind of made her his mistress. And she ended up apparently listening or uh, kind of snooping for whatever reason. And the uh, wife found out. And so she was supposedly had an ear cut off by Mrs. Woodruff. and That'll teach you to snoop. Yeah. And actually, I learned a little bit um, since I was there. But apparently, she poisoned a cake. I don't know if it was a birthday cake or some kind of cake with oleander. And they talked about the oleander in the tour as well. And oleander is very poisonous. The cake was meant, apparently... I guess you can read into this and make whatever you want out of it. But she may have given them, the, the family, the poison cake so that they could get ill. I don't think some people think that she meant to kill them so that they would be ill so that she could then nurse them back to health and get back into you know their good graces. Sarah, the mother, and Cornelia and James around that time died And history says that they most likely died of yellow fever. But a lot of people thought that maybe it was the cake, the poison in the cake. And so the other slaves possibly knew about this and said, "Mm, I'm not sure I want to be associated with this woman who poisoned the family. So the story goes that they hung her near the river, near the property from a tree. And so that's the biggest legend Probably. Well, and I know she was the one that you definitely were trying to have some kind of a conversation with. And did you guys have any luck with getting her to speak with you at all? You know, we did not. One of the reports of the room specifically that we stayed in, the Ruffin Sterling room, which was the nursery, actually, one of the reports was that either Chloe or this Cleo would come up to your bed at night. And I don't remember if they said something about her holding her hands above you or trying to, you know, heal you or or something. Either way, that would be a little spooky if, (laughs) you know, Chloe or Cleo just came up to your bed. Uh, And we tried to reach out to several people. Um, At that time, I was just trying to call out the names of people that I remembered from the tour because I hadn't done a lot of research on it yet at that time. But we tried to, you know, reach out to maybe any of the children's spirits that Mm -hmm. may have been there. 
one of the reports from that room was also hearing giggles and children and things like that. But nope, no, no experiences at all, really. And I went through all of that audio of the seance and we had a Ouija board and a spirit box and it was pretty quiet. Lasted about 20 minutes and then we went to bed. With Cleo, and isn't it interesting that both the names have very similar spellings, I guess you could say, so it does make you think that they're one and the same. But with the Cleo story that you told on your podcast, this involves some voodoo in it. Right. And I I don't know which family, because like I said, I kind of get lost in the ownership and the families down the line. I think the Sterlings had a daughter named Kate. There is an actual documented death of a Kate on the property in 1868 who died at the age of three. The story goes that they called in a slave from a neighboring plantation to come and do some voodoo. Now, whether they realized she was doing voodoo or, or not, she tried to keep this girl from dying and tried to heal her and it didn't work and she died. Legend has it that, and it's, you know, a weaker legend. We don't know as much about this, but legend had it that she was hung too. So, you know, the fact that they, Chloe and Cleo were both hung and, you know, the names are similar instantly makes me think, you know, years and years and years of all these legends mm-hmm. have kind of just mixed them together. But I do remember hearing on the tour the name Cleo as well. And with Cleo, that's when they bring in like the the green turban-like mm-hmm. headdress. Mm-hmm. And so even in the picture, the famous picture that everybody talks about, some people argue that that maybe was Cleo. So I I don't know as much about Cleo as an identity, but a lot of people get that confused. We'll talk about the picture in just a minute. I want to bounce back a little bit in talking about the legends. Whenever you have where we've got this piece over here and this piece over here, and they're very similar, but they're totally different time periods, it always makes you kind of wonder, okay, do we have some stuff that's not quite the truth there? And one of the things that you mentioned is the family that the mother and two of the children apparently had died of the yellow fever. And that's what they have on historical record. They don't have anything. As far as they know, there was never even a slave girl named Chloe at the plantation. So obviously when you're talking about slaves, I'm sure that they didn't record things the way they should have anyway. Mm -hmm. And so it does make you wonder, but so we we don't know if the, if the family really did, were they poisoned? Did they die of yellow fever? We do know that the judge did go on to live and one of his daughters did, and she lived into a ripe old age apparently. And what he did is he finally passed the property on to Rough and Grace Sterling, which is the other family that we were mentioning. And this happened in 1834. And really it was the Sterling family that turned the Myrtles plantation into what you probably saw there. And what I would love to to pick your brain about because you were there is the architecture about it and the decor that was inside there. What was it like to walk into the entrance and look around? It's really, really cool. Now, the structure, it's kind of interesting because there are, I think, four rooms upstairs in the original part of the building where you can stay, you know, the bed and breakfast. And so you don't get to see those rooms on the tour because people could be staying there. But then if you go to the other end of that original structure, it's like a completely separate entrance that goes up and there are four other rooms. So it's like the the original structure is already kind of divided. And the room we were in, the nursery, is in that, that uh, separate 
kind of part of the building where you go up your own set of steps, almost like it was some kind of slave quarters or something like that. We, you could also, we learned about how the, the new structure was added. You know, they made the dormer rooms stick out in the new structure, just like the old. And I, it's hard to imagine what it looked like before because quite a bit was actually added. It was like doubled in size. Yeah, I think that's what I had read is that it was twice the size when he got done. Yeah, and I think a lot of the the walls apparently inside the main structure were removed and kind of restructured to have kind of the four room feel. And I think they added the uh, whatever they called it, the the men's, you know, parlor and the the women's parlor or whatever mm-hmm. they called it. So, and it's it's hard to believe that a lot of this these dates that we're looking at with all these legends, you know, the home was already like uh, you know, almost 100 years old then. So, that's hard for me to wrap my brain around that this building already had a history and they were remodeling it just like we do today with our homes. It is amazing when you think a house is 100 years old, you're like, shouldn't it be falling down and here they are adding on to it and I kind of <laughs> it up and Well, I kind of got a feeling looking at some of the stuff that he added to it. The Sterlings kind of strike me as maybe a little upper crust and very European in their taste, like they would go over and see stuff and then want to do it at the plantation. Mhm. So- yeah, even the what do they call it, the like the we would call it crown molding now, I guess, but like the cornices, is that the right word that yeah. I'm thinking of, like the decorative um, up in the the ceiling. It was made of clay and horsehair mm-hmm. and like two or three other like ingredients that they said took years for them to finish installing. And that was what I think the Sterlings put in too. I was like, wow, that's commitment. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's called like phrase work or something. I wasn't quite sure what that was, but that mm-hmm. probably is what it is. How weird. And it's what has horse hair in it. It does. And I've heard of that before. We have a, a theater here in St. Louis, the Fox Theater, where the ceiling apparently has horse hair in it. I don't know if it keeps huh. it together or if it's a texture <laughs> thing. It kind of grosses me out. But that is kind of weird. They did it. <laughs> yeah, now, you stayed in the nursery, correct? The, or what used to be the nursery? Yes. They call it now the Ruffin Sterling Room. But... It was apparently the nursery. And if you watch the Ghost Adventures episode, that's where you learn from who is supposedly a historian. I hope he's a historian because I've been using that information. But the two children who were poisoned, maybe or not, um, Cornelia and James, were taken to that room where they died. So that's interesting. Yeah, it was the nursery. Well, if you think about it either way, whether it was yellow fever or poisoning, they both died in that room. Right. So had anybody said, has there been paranormal activity in that room? Because you said you didn't really, you just had a peaceful stay, but has other people had the paranormal activity in that room? Yeah, you know, there's, um, you know, we probably all know the different sites that you can go and report paranormal activity or see paranormal activity or Wikipedia or things like that. And there are reports of the giggling children and, um, you know, the Chloe, the spirit of Chloe or Cleo coming up to the bed. There was also, and I don't remember if this was specific to that room or just the Myrtles in general, but apparently women get their jewelry stolen or taken or, or at least moved around or like earrings will be um, misplaced or things like that. Now, I don't 
I don't think my mother actually was wearing any jewelry, so we didn't have the opportunity to experience that. I don't think she would have liked you experimenting on her jewels. <laughs> disappear, Mom. She would have laughed through it just like I would have probably. In the entrance, there is a stained glass window or something. Is that right? Um, I don't know if it's this. Are you talking about in the doors? I'm not sure because it just says their, their entrance. It still had some etched stained glass that's supposed to be the French cross. Oh, it's uh, I guess I would call it. Yeah, the fro- frosted glass windows. Most of them are still there. OK. On both sides, the front and back. Actually, it's it's really 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 amazing to think about that but there are several little squares that have been replaced just by plain glass Uh, on the tour they said that that was due to taking care of the lawn actually they said lawn mowers you know when they shoot stones or sticks out or something like that occasionally will i thought that was an interesting story to me it would make way more sense to say here's this you know big uh paranormal tourist trap and you know people tried to break in but <laughs> apparently it was a lawnmower shooting shooting stones or rocks out and that's how several of them broke out apparently over the years well you know we can make it even more interesting when you think about the french cross apparently back then they used to believe that it could ward off evil so right, maybe right. it wasn't doing its job <laughs> <laughs> it did a bad bad job it makes you wonder um because with you talking about cleo and we believe it was with the sterling family and they were the ones who put these in what was the connection there you know with them putting something up to ward off evil and maybe there was a servant who did voodoo just kind of makes you wonder well even i guess in those times when you uh you know which family had nine kids and only four of them grew into you know adulthood so i don't know if it was maybe just that kind of thing like maybe they were just trying to ward off bad luck in general <laughs> you know it obviously didn't work for the sterlings because that's true only four of their nine children survived into adulthood there is supposedly a chandelier made out of Baccarat crystal. Is that still in the plantation? Ooh, I don't remember hearing any specifics about that. We saw several chandeliers, though. This thing's supposed to be 300 pounds. I don't know how you get that to hang from the ceiling, but... Does it say what room it's in? It's supposed to be in the foyer. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I didn't... It... I think when when you're in the foyer, I think you're paying so much attention mm-hmm. to that mirror... Sure. That <laughs> people don't look up, maybe. Now, this is when the Myrtles Plantation changed names, is when the Sterlings came in and renovated everything. And that's when it became the Myrtles Plantation. Do you know why they named it that? Well, I uh, I don't know what a Myrtle is, but there are apparently Myrtles around. What are Myrtles? We actually have one in our front yard. It's They're called you do? Myrtles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're very cool trees. In the fall, what you do is you go out and you cut them back almost to their, I guess it's a trunk. They're very narrow trees, so they don't have these really thick trunks, but you cut them all the way back. And then when spring comes, all these huge branches grow out of it. And then they have these little balls of flowers that come out too, and they pop. And ours just has boring white ones, but some of them have pink and orange and yellow, and they're called crepe myrtles. Well, cool. Well, that yeah, makes sense. That there were a lot of them around. I don't. Did you see a bunch of trees around there that looked really colorful? The only thing that I noticed was just the um, and it's foreign to me. I'd never seen or been in the presence of Spanish moss. There was so <laughs> much Spanish Welcome moss. Welcome to the South. Patrick. Spanish moss oh, is awesome. It, is it was so it was cool amazing, looking. and just the creepy kind of yes, uh, darkened you know, atmosphere underneath all these trees was cool. So, you know, if it was my mansion, I'd have to, you know, call it Spanish Moss Mansion. (laughs) You know, the really creepy element of Spanish Moss is apparently ticks like to hang out in it. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm glad I learned about that now. <laughs> but I tell you what, there is nothing better than going into a southern cemetery and that Spanish moss just hanging everywhere. It just sets the mood. It does. You know, people will be like, what were you taking a picture of? I'm like, just the trees and the moss and the gravestones. It was cool. So I took mm-hmm. a picture. Yeah. So apparently they named it after all the crepe myrtles that are supposed to be around it. And uh, poor Ruffin only got to live in the house for about 20 years. And then he passed away and his wife took on the property. And, you know, they had only four children that made it to adulthood. And then one of the daughters marries uh, a guy and I don't know, did they talk about on the tour what happened to him? They mentioned it and they go into the legend of the, what is it, the 17th step where supposedly he died after getting shot on the front porch. And I don't think they ever went into why. You know, I'm not sure exactly why either. Apparently he angered somebody and they were all inside in this it, it just says that, you know, a horseman came up and started hollering for him to come outside. And so he came outside and this guy shoots him. The truth is supposedly that he just died right there on the porch. But the fun legend part is what you were talking right. about is, you know, you got this guy who drags himself into the house and is dragging himself up the stairs. And so you've got his blood all over. And so it just adds to the mystique. And maybe that's how we lost some of that frosted glass. <laughs> that could be. Maybe he missed with the first shot. <laughs> Maybe. That was just some of our original drive-bys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on a horse. There you go. Hey, you know, that was transportation. He shot him while he was going by. And he took off. You're right. The it Myrtle's was a drive-by. Hood. It was a drive-by. And everybody thought that was a new concept. <laughs> Myrtles in the hood. I love Myrtles in the hood. <laughs> Uh, well, part of the problem that they had on the plantation, too, is during this particular time, we've got the Civil War going on, and it was not a good time for plantations then. Of course, if you got Union soldiers who came in, they looted the place, took over things. So the Myrtle's plantation got hit several times and looted. Not only that, but Sterling's wife had invested in sugar plantations, which I, I, I guess I'd never thought a lot about sugar. Here, you know, you hear about them. You know, sugar cane over in Hawaii and stuff, yeah. but I never thought about sugar in the South as much. Oh, well, sugar was big, big money. Yeah, apparently the Oak Alley Plantation, where we also went and visited, apparently it was a sugar oh. plantation. I think it was. Either that or I'm confusing with the, the Monmouth Mansion. But one of those plantations was into sugar. Yeah, see, this was all new to me because I'm like, I never imagined that people were growing sugar in the South. Well, apparently these sugar plantations did not do well, so... Basically, the people who owned the Myrtles Plantation, it went bankrupt. Mary died in 1880, still owner of the Myrtles. Her son Stephen then brought the home. Orrin D. Brooks became the new owner in 1886 because the property was too heavy in debt for Stephen to handle. Brooks then sold the house to Harrison Milton Williams in 1889. The Williams family held the property until the 1950s when Marjorie Munson purchased the plantation. The story of hauntings began then, which we will discuss in a minute. The Myrtles continued to change hands until the 70s when Arlen Deese and Mr. and Mrs. Robert F. Ward became owners. They did more restorations. And I was going to ask you, Patrick, who are the current owners? I am not sure. I remember reading about a current owner. And of course, you know, a lot of times before the Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures episodes, I think they, they usually talk to an owner or a, or a manager or sometimes. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I was wondering, because that's where... 
my research ended and I'm like, okay, well, that was the 70s, which is a long time. Well, I don't want to say it was that long ago since I was born in the 70s. but <laughs> So a long, long time ago. <laughs> but I mean, we're talking that's over 40 years. So I'm like, I don't know if these are the last owners and now they just have caretakers that are taking care of it or what. So it just was weird that it, there was like a dead end there. I seem to remember that there was a switch in ownership just recently. Okay. I, I mean, I can't tell you any details about that, but I think just recently there was a switch in ownership. Well, talking about some of those hauntings, as you mentioned earlier, there is a lot when it comes to the children. It's no surprise to me because we've had at least two of the Woodruff's children died here. And it doesn't say when it comes to four of the nine Sterling children, but I'm going to assume that the five of them died at this plantation. I don't know for sure, but at least some of them did. So what did they tell you or... You know, I don't know if they mentioned this on the tour since it wasn't specifically a ghost tour. Did they talk about people having experiences with the children? Yeah, they, um, I, if it was one of the rooms off of the foyer in that kind of main part of the building where they talk about, uh, pant legs being tugged or, um, you know, something where it, it seems like it would be more of a child trying to communicate. Most of what I heard was the spirit of a Kate and the only Kate that I really you know, can think of right now is just the one that was supposedly they got the voodoo practitioner, the the slave. That's where Cleo kind of comes in. That's the only Kate that I can really see. Did they describe what Kate looked like by any chance? Um, I don't. I'm wondering because there is a report that there's a little girl that will peer. I she I think she hangs outside. And peers in. And peers in through a window and she supposedly has long curly hair. I just know that supposedly there's this report of this little girl that looks in through the game room. And I'm mm. assuming it must be the window there or something. Is there a piano in the house? There is. It. I don't know if it's original to the house or not. I doubt it, but there is in the in the foyer, yeah. Well, you said you didn't have any experiences, so I guess you didn't hear the piano playing in the middle of the night by itself? No, I didn't, but you know what? It's, that was his mother. One of the, the sad things is that you only get a brief, you can't really, as far as I know, just walk into that main part of the building. You know, it's only the tour that you get to briefly walk in, so I didn't get to just hang out in the, the foyer. I don't know if they let just people walk through there. Now, this is not. weird, because it's it's build as a bed and breakfast, but you don't really get to roam because that's what when you were talking on your podcast about it, I went, you don't really get to see anything unless you're on the specific tour. I can understand they don't want you wandering into other people's rooms, but the main And it might be that I didn't, you know, press the issue. You know, maybe it's it was okay for me to go into the other section. Like I said, there was a, a separate entrance for those four rooms than than the four rooms in in my section. So I don't know, maybe if I was brave enough, I could have just walked in. But we had it now that I think about it, we had a specific key to get into the section that goes up to our rooms. So I'm sure there probably would have been another separate key for the people staying in the other rooms. Yeah. You know, we've mentioned a couple times that there's this picture of Chloe. Do you want to describe that to people? Yeah, I did not realize until I got back researching it. It's interesting, this picture, It first of all, it's black and white, which I think is odd, but it looks really old, but it was apparently, what is it, like 1992? Yes. Is that Isn't when that it was? Weird? Yes. Yeah, the owner at the time took the picture for insurance purposes or mm-hmm. something. And there's a shadow figure in between the, you know, the newer section 
I think, of the building and the and the older original section in between the two porches. And it looks like the shadow of what people are saying is Chloe. And I've even seen people say that they think it's Cleo mm-hmm. if they're separate people. Who knows? Again. But yeah, I, I did see that. And the whole time when I was there, when I saw that picture, I thought it was old. You know, I did not realize it was from 1992. So I'm thinking, I feel old. But I mean, 1992 wasn't that old, long ago. And mm-hmm. people weren't just taking black and white photos for insurance purposes, were they? I thought that was strange too, Patrick, because I oh, really? the first time I ever saw this picture, I was watching, I don't know, you know, Discovery Channel or the History Channel was doing one of their mm-hmm. special, you know, America's 10 Most Haunted Places. And I remember seeing that picture and going, whoa, that is weird. And I thought the same thing you did until I started doing the research for this. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, if you're taking pictures for insurance, you're going <laughs> to want them in detail. You're going to want color. Because that's the way you're going to identify stuff. So I thought, well, isn't that weird that it's kind of a grainy black and white picture? The only other thing I can think of is maybe it wasn't originally black and white. Maybe in the analysis of it, they found that you could see it better maybe in black and white. And so maybe that's just the only photo that they share because you can clearly see, you know, the shadow better. So I don't know if that was the original or not. Well, and that could be because... I have to say that after seeing it for myself, I know there's this guy, Mr. Norman, and I don't know how he says his last name, but Noy, but he's supposedly a researcher and he knows how to look at pictures and measure. And when he was looking at it and did all of the technical measurements that you can do on it, he said it was proportioned perfectly to be a human. The head in circumference, the distance from the elbow to the hand. So, you know, and he said it didn't look like nobody said anything about it looking doctored. So it's one of the most convincing pictures I've seen, despite the fact that we're like, how in the world is this grainy black and white picture been made? Yeah, it's I... I'm really critical of photography evidence, and I'm definitely not an expert with, you know, paranormal photography. But if I hadn't known that there were so many people like that who have taken a critical look at it and it came out clean, I would have probably written it off. But there are a lot of big uh, people that have looked, experts that have looked at that photo and say it's good. So uh, it's interesting. I have a hard time writing it off. Well, and because of that, that's why when you were talking about the legend, Legend of either Cleo or Chloe, it makes you say, well, maybe they didn't have these servants in the house that had those names, but somebody who looks similar to a slave, as you mentioned, there's the green turban wearing mm-hmm. woman that this might possibly be, whether she's Chloe or Cleo, somebody is in that picture that matches that. So where did she come from? It's also what bugs me sometimes with these <laughs> legends is, you know, let's take Elvis for example, you know, any building that <laughs> you are Elvis treading has on been sacred in. ground, just to let you know, <laughs> I'm a huge Elvis fan, but go ahead. But go ahead. Well, I mean, any building that Elvis has been in, you know, <laughs> they might say uh, if there's any paranormal activity going on, you know, a paranormal team will go in and say, uh, Elvis, are you here? And of course, anything that happens, they want it to be Elvis. Mm-hmm. So it's like <laughs> just because there's this legend of Chloe, you know, there were God, I can't imagine how many slaves they probably had. And, you know, they and had how to. many workers that mm-hmm. went out. I mean, if 
it could be, you know, there are spirits and ghosts all over the place. So <laughs> it's funny that we jump to Chloe when we see a shadow person. Well, you know, I think what a lot of it is, is that woman, I know her last name was Munson. I can't remember. Was it Marjorie? Was one of the owners. And they say that the haunting started then. I think she's the one who started telling people what was going on. There's probably some stuff going on long before that. But back then, you know, they didn't like to talk about that stuff as much. And she's this was the, in the 50s? Yeah. And so she seems to be the one who got a lot of the stories started. And then that's when they started getting embellished. So it makes you wonder, she was having some kind of interaction and then kind of put it off into these different stories and kind of made the stories to go with the interactions that she was having. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, is I'm a firm believer, anytime you start to bring voodoo and stuff in, you've kind of opened up. Well, they wonder sorts. if this Munson woman might have been maybe having seances or something, too, that might have kind of opened a door to something. Mm-hmm. Now, see, don't tempt the spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, now I'm very nice and respectful, though, when I tempt my spirits. Well, like I said, you have a pleasant voice. <laughs> he, bribes, he bribes the spirits. Hey, spirits, <laughs> you want to say something? <laughs> come on. They don't have to come if they don't want to. Well, I like that about you, though, Patrick, because that is one of the complaints I have about some of the paranormal investigators or some of them out there. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Zach Baggins. I don't really like it when people go in there. And if I'm dead and you're coming into my house, I really don't want you hollering at me and challenging mm-hmm. me. So I, you know, sometimes I have a little bit of issues when people try to provoke like that. If I'm mm-hmm. alive and you come to my house and start hollering at me, <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> I'm going to punch you. <laughs> so, dead or alive, I don't like you in my house yelling at me. Just saying. Well, I would like to think that I don't know. And when I die, I don't know where I'm going to go or if I'm going to want to come back or if I'm going to want to hang out for people to, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. try to communicate with me. But I would like to think that I would be fascinated with someone coming back trying to communicate with me. I'd be there. I'd play along. Oh, I would have so much. Oh, I'd be the biggest prankster. I'd be one of them that is running around, pulling their hair over here, and then jumping over to the other side and poking somebody. I and go, what? Wait, did you feel that? Did you see that? What? Did you hear that? <laughs> I would just be having a great time. Oh, yeah, I'd be so horrible. Now we'll know which ghost that is. Anybody who picks up the podcast will be like, wait, 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 it's the ghost of Diane. Right here, she said it. Yeah, my mom and I have an agreement that when she dies, she's going to try to reach out and communicate with me through writing in the dust. Oh, because we had this kind of inside joke. She always made me dust when I was growing up. She didn't like dusting. And so I don't like dusting now. So even though my house is clean and organized, there's quite a bit of dust. So she's going to come back and communicate with me with her finger. You know, she's going to ride in the dust. That's a mom thing. Dust your house. I think it's a mom thing. I always got stuck dusting, too. Yeah. <laughs> there is a mirror. Why don't we talk about this mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Absolutely. There, this is where <laughs> they get really dramatic on the tour. I think they, I think aside from Chloe, this is their biggest, Big thing. you know, thing. And I don't, I, do you know, Diane, when the mirror kind of comes into play? Cause I, I never really heard about the mirror until all the ghost hunting shows. I have no idea. And so when you were talking on your podcast about the fact that you didn't think it was even original to the house, it's probably true. Yeah. They've, um, they've admitted, uh, Myrtle's, you, I've seen it even on the, the TV shows that the, um, when someone approaches them or asks them about it, they actually do say, well, it's not original to the house, but it is an old mirror, but it's the kind of mirror that I guess is silver. It's brushed oh. with sh- silver okay. over the top of it. So it's not a typical mirror. And so it does have little imperfections and kind of smears and things like that. You know, there is a section kind of in the upper right hand corner that 
has – you can kind of make out a face, I guess, if you really wanted to. I don't really see it as clearly as people often do. You know, in those times, they talk about how, you know, when someone died, when you were mourning, you covered up the mirrors in the home with black fabric because I guess what they, – they didn't want the spirits to see themselves in the mirror because they would fear they would get stuck. Mm-hmm. Their spirit would get stuck in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, they go into the story and say, can you see it? Yep, that's the spirit of Sarah and so-and-so trying to crawl out of the mirror, but they're stuck there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? <laughs> so do they, is it just a face or are there handprints too? Um, well, I guess uh, I didn't really get up that close to it, but I've seen it in all the shows. And there's okay. if you just you know Google – this mirror, you can see everyone's selfie or everyone's picture of the mirror. <laughs> and, you know, I think I'm a big pareidolia person, or sometimes people call it, you know, matrixing, where you can force your brain to see things. And I really do think that's kind of the case. But I also wonder if no one has ever, you know, cleaned the mirror. And do they keep it dirty on purpose because <laughs> they take advantage of the fact that people can can see things and then, of course, that's where they give you the opportunity to take out your camera. You know, you're not mm-hmm. allowed to have it in any of the other parts of the tour. <laughs> but not. take your camera out here so you can take a picture of this <laughs> face in the mirror. Well, another thing that I heard with the handprints is, and it kind of goes along with what you're saying, that it was basically brushed with silver, is they're wondering if when the mirror was made that the handprints are in the wood that's behind the mirror. And so people are maybe mm. seeing that coming through. Not sure. See, I don't even know enough about that kind of mirror. Sure. Really. I don't know if I would have been taken down to the ground and beaten up if I went up there and tried to clean it or if <laughs> if it's stuck there for good. You know, it's funny that the South has this belief about the mirrors because we've talked about it on various podcasts Especially because, you know, you have Haunted Collector and John Zaffis has talked about how sometimes mirrors become haunted. And do you think that spirits could possibly get trapped in these mirrors? I've heard theories that, well, it's because they're looking at themselves so they don't know how to get out because they just keep seeing their own reflection. The the one thing that I remember reading about, I don't know if this is a feng shui thing or... What it is, but when when you see mirrors in like someone's the entrance to their home or the foyer, you know, apparently there's some story about you're not supposed to have mirrors facing a certain direction or I don't know why, but I do get kind of creeped out sometimes when at the entrance of a home there's a mirror because I'm like, there's a story here and there's supposed to be a way to get stuck here in this mirror or I mean, I don't I don't go to deep with my belief in that kind of thing. But I do wonder sometimes, I guess, especially if the mirror does have a history or uh, just like any object that's really old. Yeah, because I mean, I believe it's possible that things can get attached to something. You know, I don't know. Mirrors seem like they might be more prone because of the reflective nature. Well, I'm kind of talking about things. I know the movie The Long Hot, Hot Summer was filmed at the Myrtle Plantation, and one day when the crew moved some furniture around before filming the scene, they left, but when they came back, the furniture had moved back to where it had originally been located. So, Yeah, apparently the the crew, they were only there for a couple of days, and they said they got the heck out of there as quickly as they could, so I'm thinking they might have had more than just that experience. One thing I noticed is when I, I looked at that a few clips from that movie today, the place looked so much different. It was, of course, they were trying to make it back then look glamorous. and. Sure. 
you know, it's, it, it looked so much different. I don't think, you know, if, if they, if the place had the history that people know of today, I'm not sure they would have been able to film <laughs> that movie there. No, probably not. I had no idea that they had filmed that there. That's interesting. I didn't either. There was also a gateman that was working there. Do they have somebody who sits down at a gate? I didn't see a gate. I know that there's pretty much always like uh, someone doing security kind of at night. Really, really nice guy. I wish I would have remembered his name when we got there and checked in. He he grabbed our luggage and was just talking to us and showing us to our room and giving us, you know, helpful hints and getting around. And he said, and, you know, I'm night security and I'll be here you know, all night long and um, let me know if you need me. So I don't know if that's who that is, but I never saw a gate. There's not a gate at the entrance or anything. You drive right, right through. Okay. Because one of the stories is that there was a gateman and I don't even know what year it was, but he saw a woman in white. <laughs> a woman in white. No, <laughs> Can you believe no, There's no a kidding. lot of those. <laughs> and she just came through the gate and, you know, he says, something to her probably like uh, excuse me where are you going and she didn't even acknowledge him and she went all the way up to the house and walked right through the door not opening it and that was the last day he worked there so i was just wondering you know how close is this this gate or if there really was a gateman there so who knows through the years they might have had more security down away mm-hmm. from the plantation or something yes why he- can't it ever be a lady in fuchsia or something like that why does it always have to be white well you know diane wants to see a ghost in um Parachute pants. That's right. That's From her full 80s. body, you know, because full body always... apparition. That did she you say wants. parachute pants? I did. Come on now, <laughs> they're always in period dress. I want yes. to see somebody in parachute pants. Does you know, like zippers ever... all over. Yeah. yeah. Does anybody ever haunt from the eighties? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. That is true. There, there's this time period where people just expect. That's all those uh, the their Victorian... ghosts to come from. Exactly. You know, you can see a ghost of someone who died yesterday. Exactly. And very rarely do you hear somebody say, and maybe it's because they just fit in so well. You know, if it's somebody in t-shirt and jeans, you might actually think they're just, you know, some real person sitting there. (laughs) So like Millie Vanilli were just ghosts. It's like, no wonder they couldn't sing. (laughs) They had to lip sync. That's right. Oh man, I wanted parachute pants so badly and I never got them. I'd have to be a ghost to finally get my parachute pants. (laughs) Well, if it happens, I want pictures, Patrick, because then I'll have my ghost in parachute pants. I'll let you know. All right, great. Actually, one of the theories that I've heard when it comes to white, I got from listening to Stuff You Missed in History class and the lady there were talking about dye and the history of it and apparently a lot of people wore white clothes years and years and years ago because it cost extra money to get dye Mm. on your clothing so that might be why we see a little bit more people walking around in white but i don't know if that's true it's just one of my little pet theories yeah well that's interesting and i really thought about that well just listening to patrick i realized how many Missed opportunities he has. You realize you said that the night security guy said, if there's anything you need, if you need me, let me know. You could say, yeah, can you come back and show me around at night? That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of times when I go to these places, I feel embarrassed, I guess, to go out and flaunt my paranormal nerdiness. Well, some people are going <laughs> to look at you like you. I understand it completely because people do look at you. Fortunately, it has become more of a thanks to whatever you may think of the ghost hunters or ghost adventures. It has made it a little bit more hip yeah. to do the investigation thing. But people still do kind of give you a weird look like, oh, although we've We've gotten a lot of good interactions where people are like, so do you believe in ghosts? What are they? And yeah, 
I'm always yeah. I I need to get braver with starting up conversations and like a lot of the places we went to on this trip. I thought when I got back, you know, all these missed opportunities, just like you said, Denise, that I could have gone up to someone with my recorder at the restaurant or whatever and said, "So hey, what do you know about this area? What can you tell me about you know legends or ghosts?" We can't give you grief though because we do the same thing when we go on a tour. (laughs) I'm like, you know, that woman owns that ghost tour, like the lady who was showing us all the pictures and stuff. I'm like, Mm -hmm. why in the world did I not take my recorder out and say, hey, can we do a little five, ten minute interview since we're the only ones here? And you tell us a little bit about the oddities and experiences that you've personally had. Did I do it? No. (laughs) Yeah. So we understand that. So many experiences have happened at the Myrtles Plantation that are unexplainable. It is clear that something is happening at the beautiful bed and breakfast. Is the Myrtles Plantation haunted? That is for you to decide. And I think we've given people a lot of things to consider. So... Yeah, mirrors, women, Chloe. And just based on Patrick's experience there, it sounds like a neat place to stay. Yeah, I want to go back to Louisiana. I need to eat my way through Louisiana again. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Patrick, how often do you put your podcast out? I started out weekly, and I think as I got better with kind of producing it and making it a little better, it takes more time. So Mm -hmm. right now I've been rolling on an every other week. schedule and my plan for this coming fall uh obviously the paranormal is big in the fall so in the fall i hope to kind of get back to weekly at least for a while and do you know what your next podcast is going to be featuring my next podcast is going to feature a medium from england Hmm. i've actually got the next two podcasts are going to be with mediums from england and her name is marion hover and she's going to talk about uh, kind of modern day spiritualism. Ooh. And then she also has a development circle. And I'm learning about these development circles that they have over there that are fascinating. So that's what we talk about with her. Oh, I've never even heard of that. So I'll be interested to find out what that mm-hmm. is. And yeah, kind of a different way of saying, uh, I guess, kind of a seance, except more of a, a learning experience, sitting in with the circle and learning from each other and develop developing intuitively and psychically. So if some of the listeners want to tune in to you, just, I mean, they can always go to the websites and stuff, but where would they come find you? Well, they can go to bigseance.com and that's just kind of my main hub. That's where I started the blogging, but they can click on the podcast, Big Seance podcast category, or find it in the menu to see all the podcasts. But I'm also on iTunes and most of the podcast apps and things like that. Very good. Very, very cool. We want to thank you for joining us, Patrick. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's been I'm very so nice. glad you asked me. Thank you. This is my first official uh, time being on a podcast for an interview. So thank you. Well, I bet it's going to happen more often. We want to thank everybody for joining us. I have been your host, Diane. This has been Denise and Patrick, and we want you guys to join us for our next show, which I believe is going to be the Queens Park in Toronto. So that should be interesting. You guys take care now. Bye bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.